Keep up with local news and events. Rich Larson hosts a daily newscast Monday through Friday, as well as updates and other community news. And it's free. Stop by KYMNRadio.net frequently and look for updates on our Facebook page for news stories and community events. KYMN Radio is 95.1 The One. It's 8.38 on a uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, last week, we had uh, Northfield's City Administrator Ben Mardigan. We were talking about an environmental assessment worksheet that uh, had been requested uh, of uh, the uh, the uh, what's called the Paulson property or uh, the uh, Craywood development. And there's a little bit of haziness in the air on what that is and what it isn't. And uh, we have Diane Angel with us, who is a professor at the uh, at uh, St. Olaf College. And a year back from, uh, we had you out about a, a month ago, but uh, you, I think, deal with this type of stuff a little bit better, a little more often than maybe the rest of us do. So thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, thanks for inviting me today to help sort of clarify some of this. Um, a couple things I just wanted to check in with before I start talking about the that request is that um, I am part of SHED, and SHED is really excited to be able to announce a collaboration in January. So we're interested in having a sort of symposium, a workshop on the housing crisis in Northfield and how we address that crisis. And so we're looking to invite a number of attendees and invite some folks to speak um, and have sort of a workshop format. So that's something we're looking forward to as we address these sort of environment versus development issues. All right. Will there be certain, uh, I, I want to say speakers or lecturers or panelists? or That is exactly what okay. we're picturing. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, right. I, and I teach a class in January that fits right into that. So I expect the students will be involved as well. All right. Yeah. We'll look forward to that. Keep us informed on when I and will. where that will be. I will. I will. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say is that I really hope that in the midst of this debate, we celebrate the fact that we have this endangered species in our town. Like, that is just amazing. Um, and it should be something everybody in Northfield is proud of, that we are able to support this species and that it, it is found in Northfield and is not found lots of other places. And that species is the rusty patch bumblebee. rusty patch bumblebee. Like, yes. what the heck? It's got a rusty patch on it. <laughs> and so let's celebrate that first, right? Like, that's sort of the point of this. All right. Let's talk about uh, the, uh, well, first of all, let's talk about the, the endangerment of the uh, a rusty patch bumblebee. Um, how long has it been endangered? Is it endangered everywhere? Uh, it's what, what's going on with this habitat? Can you give us a little insight on that? Yeah, so the, it is federally endangered. So that means it is endangered nationwide, right? So it's not just a state thing. Federally endangered means it's at risk of extinction nationwide. Um, it has been on the list for for several years now. Um, and again, it's our state bee. Its population has dramatically declined. Um, we don't know why, um, but it hangs on in several locations, and Northfield happens to be one of those locations. So we're a special place. Now, are there a lot of people out? Uh, you know, Northfield has gotten some attention, so I imagine there are more people keeping their eyes open for one now. But you know, from a statewide perspective or a region-wide perspective. Are there people that go out and look for this thing? Do we have kind of an accurate uh, portrayal of what you know, the population of the, the rusty patch bumblebee is? 
Absolutely, uh, because we have this thing called Bumblebee Watch, which is sponsored by the Xerxes Society. Um, we have a great sort of citizen science documentation of where they are found. And just like people go out and look for birds, right? We have our birders and they document what they find where. We have our bumblebee searchers and they document what they find where. And so there's plenty of people, especially in the last five years or so, that have been focusing on this bee and trying to figure out where it is and where it is not and then why is obviously the challenge. All right, crowdsourcing. Exactly. Uh, now let's move into the uh, the Craywood, uh, I want to say development, the proposed development, the property anyway. Yes. Um, why do we think there's rusty patch bumblebees there? Do you think that they're uh, they're nesting there. Um, you know, I, I've looked in, well, I've looked it up. I've done a little bit of research just to, enough to make myself dangerous, <laughs> but it says grasslands, you know, they, they go to grasslands and find holes that rodents have dug up and kind of go in there and, and make their, make their lives, make their homes there. Do we, do we know that if the, the Craywood uh, property is part of that, do we actually know that there's nests there? Yeah, and the term nest is a little bit uh, vague, so we might want to do some clarification there. Hive? Would it be a hive? <laughs> hive. So um, we do know that there's uh, quite a variety of confirmed rusty patch observations right around on about three sides of the property. It's mm -hmm. private property, so we are not on the property. We don't have observations from the property. But we are seeking our guidance from the Fish and Wildlife publishes um, a document that highlights is sort of the consensus of what scientists think that rusty patch bumblebees rely on. Um, and their guidance suggests, so again, this is the federal government, their scientists um, have outlined the importance of what they call upland mature forests and uh, particular trees that the bees rely on in the spring, basswood trees. Um, as well as the early spring flowering plants. So bumblebee queens emerge from a winter sort of nest um, early in the spring. And that's a really critical time because it's only the queens that overwinter. And they really need that nectar early. You know how, how cool our springs can be. And so that's a really critical stage is that early nectar. Um, we have lots of... Uh, you know, citizens that have uh, native plantings in their yards, and that's great for summer, but it's that spring um, time that seems to be really critical for the queens. And we know that the Paulson property has quite a carpet of trout lilies, bluebells, wild ginger, a variety of species that the rusty patch bumblebees may use. And then it is also has the habitat that the Fish and Wildlife Service um, outlines as critical for overwintering queens. And so that's our concern. We don't know where they live. That is a really hard nut to crack. It's hard to find both their summer and their wintering um, nesting sites. Now, the group, uh, and correct me if, I, if I'm wrong here, but I believe the group has requested the environmental assessment uh, to that. Uh, you apply to that to, on, the, on the state level, is that correct? It uh, goes through the State mm -hmm. Environmental Quality Board. Okay. Yep. So, uh, and again, we had, um, 
let the city know, city staff know that this um, federally endangered species is around the property. And um, they were contacted by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife and shared some guidance. So way back in January, that happened. And then more recently, um, the city councilors and the mayor, the information was shared with um, other city staff in March. And so it's an issue that we've been trying to um, highlight for quite a while. Um, and we didn't get a lot of feedback. And so we uh, eventually got to the point where we did the petition. And that petition process goes through the state and then back to the city. Um, and so it's really the, again, it's the developer that needs to pay for the environmental assessment. It is not the city that pays. So it's part of the development process. Now, the uh, the state said uh, that that was, wasn't within the uh, scope of uh, what they would consider to have a automatic uh, environmental assessment uh, tag put on it. Uh, so they, they sent it to the city, and the city's going to have to figure out whether they want one or not. Um, what What is the scope? I mean, what uh, do you have to have a certain level? I mean, you, you mentioned a half dozen or a dozen bumblebee sightings. Do you need to have a certain amount there? As- because it's a federally endangered species, this mm-hmm. isn't um, just a kind of unusual species. This is a federally listed species, so you bump into federal law quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, so- is there any other kind of endangered species? Yeah, I mean, there are eagles. Right, our bald eagles mm-hmm. were in that category, and they have recovered. And then we take them out of that ca- category. But I mean, the, fe- the federal ones, the yeah. federal government is the only one that can 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 make the determination that this is a endangered species. Is yes, that correct? Yes, okay. Yes. It's not a state law. No, it's okay. not a state um, issue, but. You know, the city has very clear language, um, and the city attorney has highlighted that language, that the city, quote, must complete an assessment when there is potential for or the perception of potential for significant environmental effects. So it's actually a pretty low bar. Even if there's only the perception of possible environmental effects, they are required to complete an environmental assessment. And they guide the assessment, they oversee it, but it is the developer that completes the assessment as part of the process. Mm-hmm. Now, there are people there that, uh, I mean, if you look, that, that whole town, that whole segment of town has been developed, and it's develop, developed on the same kind of land that uh, they're sitting, sitting there right now. The, uh, uh, the folks who own that uh, have uh, decided not to develop for so many years. Absolutely. What, what makes this one different than you know 30 years ago or 40 years ago when they were building you know I don't I want to say your house but uh, yes. people's houses right uh, right in that area yeah no that's a great question and we have to acknowledge that this that side of town was all forest at one point that forest was completely clear-cut it was farmed or grazed um, and then houses were built what we know is that Uh, This property had some trees on it. You can tell from the early aerial photos from the 1930s that it seems to have had a cluster of trees that maybe served as a base for the growth of that forest. And what has happened is we just have so few forests left that even though the core of that, um, you know, some of it may be, there may be several trees there that are quite old, we don't know, but that served as kind of an island that sort of seems to have spread. So a lot of years has have passed since the area was clear cut. And so we have had the regrowth of many trees. And that makes it, you know, fortunately, the, a potential habitat for this species. 
Yeah. Uh, once again, Diane Angel is with us. Uh, she is from. Uh, she is a professor at St. Olaf College, and also uh, here. Uh, are you representing Shed? Is that a fair? term to say or just you know i I collaborate with shed and i am one of the co-chairs because we are really interested in both housing and our environment right so we i want to emphasize that this is not a b versus affordable housing Mm -hmm. we are really uh, believe deeply that we can balance the needs of the b with the needs of the developer Right? All right. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, worksheet again, the environmental yes. assessment worksheet. What is that? Uh, you know, do, do, is there like a list, a check off, they check off Absolutely. for that? Or? Yeah, there's a list. It's, it's sort of, um, you know, there's several things that you have to do to satisfy that. So it brings a formality to the process that I think we really appreciate. Um, you know, you, an environmental assessment can mean a lot of different things. It can mean one person peeking in there for, you know, 15 minutes. Or it can Mm -hmm. be an environmental assessment worksheet. And completing the worksheet just makes it a formal process. It's done by a professional in the field. I'm not a professional environmental assessor, right? Mm -hmm. But there are people that do that, and um, they should be impartial and neutral. And so having that done really just helps us understand what's on the property, right? It doesn't... um, stop the development it helps us understand what is on the property so that then you can maybe think about like well maybe we want to shift this this way or that that way maybe we do want to have a bit of a green space in there a forest space in there to preserve the habitat for the bumblebee we can do both okay we can have affordable housing and protect our endangered species. Isn't that cool? Yeah, and that's uh, one of the questions that I would have for you uh, is to kind of clarify um, the uh, Northfield Shed's I guess stance on this is are you against all development within that property or uh, is there a scale down or maybe just no, to explain from the very that. beginning uh-huh. we have reached out in fact way back in January we said wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have a big conversation among city staff to balance the needs of we understand affordable housing right we mm-hmm. we need that in Northfield we all experience that and appreciate that this is not just affordable housing versus the B we can do both we can manage both. And we have sought out those conversations from the very start. And we hope the event in January, even looking forward past this development, is an opportunity for Northfielders to talk about these. How do we finance affordable housing, right? That is challenging. How do we maintain you know, access, inclusive communities, and access to green spaces, not necessarily mowed parks, but forest patches, because we know those are are used heavily when they're convenient to people. Mm -hmm. And we feel like sometimes the west side has um, maybe fewer amenities than other parts of town. And so we're really working to think more broadly about what we mean by community. All right. Uh, Once again, Diane Angel, our guest today. We're about out of time. Is there anything else? Uh, have we cleared up everything? I know we had you on here to clarify a lot of uh, maybe perhaps some misconceptions and such, and also explain the environmental assessment uh, process. Uh, anything else you would like to mention while we have you in here? No, just that I think it's, you know, if not if not in Northfield where, mm-hmm. I, I ask myself that. You know, we can balance these issues. We can do an environmental assessment. We can come to a great outcome. And this is the place, Northfield is the place to make that happen, right? How can we expect other communities to step up and, and develop creatively and um, in interesting ways if Northfield doesn't do that? So it's a great opportunity. Well, Diane, thank you so much for coming in today. We yeah. certainly appreciate it, and you, uh, we'll Jeff. keep in touch. Yeah. 
Diane Angel, once again, a professor at uh, St. Olaf College and uh, talking, uh, I guess, representing the group SHED, Northfield Citizens for, what is that again? <laughs> housing and uh, environment, sustainable oh. housing and environment. Yeah. Thank you very much, Diane. We're going to break, come back. Rich is in uh, with a look at local news. It's that time of year again.